Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to World Footprints, the leading voice in socially responsible travel and lifestyle. We are so excited to share a new discovery, a city that has become one of our favorites despite football rivalries. That's Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. When most people who have never visited Pittsburgh think of the city, they might envision tall smokestacks towering over an industrial city. But in reality, the city is vibrant, very modern, colorful, and welcoming. The flowing rivers add to Pittsburgh's charm and inspire Dutch artist Florentine Hoffman to select the city for his North America debut of his giant rubber ducky. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick, and along with my husband, Ian, we're going to share some of Pittsburgh's rich past and dynamic present. Thanks, dear. From the pre-revolutionary drama of the French and Indian War to the legendary matchups of the Super Steelers, the Senator John Hines History Center presents 250 years of Pittsburgh and Western Pennsylvania life. An affiliate of the Smithsonian Institution, the History Center is the largest history museum in Pennsylvania. The 275,000-square-foot museum features six floors of long-term and changing exhibit space, including the Western Pennsylvania Sports Museum and the Library and Archives. What we try to do at the History Center is present national history with a Western Pennsylvania connection. So everything you see here will have some sort of national impact. You know, it's affected you know uh, people across the country, but it has a Pittsburgh or Western Pennsylvania connection. A swirling renaissance of renewal, rehabilitation, renovation, and revitalization with the fervor of a revival is occurring in Pittsburgh's Hill District. Remnants of the diverse cultural mosaic of the Hill District of the 1920s through the 1940s can still be seen in landmarks that once housed synagogues, temples, and orthodox houses of worship, and in the architecture of some of the historic structures that accent the community. If you listen closely, you can almost hear the vibrance of the Hill's heyday. Night spots like the Granada Theater, the Crawford Grill, the Hurricane Lounge, and the Savoy Ballroom made the Hill an exciting community. The Hill became nationally known on the burgeoning jazz circuit because it was home to legendary jazz giants, Lena Horn, Billy Eckstein, and Earl Hines. The Hill District's rich and storied past is what makes it the special place we celebrate today. Many people would say it, is, it was the place to stop between New York and Chicago, particularly as it relates to related to the jazz scene and, you know, the Negro Leagues and so forth. But the history of the Hill District really just, you know, spans from, obviously, the beginning of Pittsburgh as a city. It's Towering 92 92- over the Monongahela River, Cary Furnaces 6 and 7 are extremely rare examples of pre-World War II iron-making technology. Since the collapse of the region's steel industry in the 1970s and the 1980s, these structures are the only non-operative blast furnaces in the Pittsburgh district to remain standing. The site that employed 15,000 people who was famous nationally and internationally can't just be bulldozed. And we needed to try to save some of this to not just maintain our own sense of self, our own sense of place, but to then use this history to help move the region forward. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick. And I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. Visit and connect with us at worldfootprints.com. The Senator John Hines History Center traces its roots back to 1879, making it the oldest cultural institution in western Pennsylvania. 
the six-floor, 270,000-square-foot museum and research facility is also Pennsylvania's largest history museum and a proud affiliate of the Smithsonian Institution. On a recent visit, I sat down with Brady Smith from the History Center, who shared how Western Pennsylvania helped author some of America's most compelling historical stories. Thank you so much for uh, welcoming World Footprints here today. Absolutely. We're happy to have you here. So, Brady, can you give us a little bit of history um, about the historical center here? About the history, right. Well, the Senator John Hines History Center, um, you know, we moved into this uh, wonderful building in the Strip District neighborhood of Pittsburgh in, in 1996. Um, the organization has been around actually since 1879. Uh, it's, it was the Historical Society of Western Pennsylvania, but you know, now, of course, we're known as the Senator John Hines History Center. Um, the building itself is a historical artifact. Uh, this was once uh, the Lake Chautauqua Ice Factory. So the the pillars, um, the, the steel pillars that you see, and the the brick walls really add a lot of ambiance uh, to the visitor experience when they come in. Um, in the History Center, we are the largest history museum in Western, or I'm sorry, in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, we are an affiliate of the Smithsonian Institution. Um, we do a lot of programs with the Smithsonian, and also, um, you know, they they share a lot of artifacts for some of our bigger exhibits. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's a pretty pretty good overview of just the, the organization. And, and uh, you boast to being the uh, oldest cultural center, I believe, in, in, in the country? That's right, yeah. It's, it's been here since 1879, so the Historical Society of, of Western of Western Pennsylvania. It's it's the oldest uh, cultural organization in the city of Pittsburgh. So really, really probably the region as well. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned uh, your affiliation with the Smithsonian Institution. What type of exhibits um, do you have now? What what generally do you uh, bring to the to the center? Definitely. So uh, it's exciting our our partnership and our affiliation with the Smithsonian. Um, we're very proud of that. Uh, a good example uh, is currently uh, we have an exhibit um, on uh, Pennsylvania's role during uh, the Civil War, which is uh, observing its 150th uh, year anniversary. Um, and in in Pennsylvania Civil War, in that exhibit, uh, we have a an old uh, 1800s uh, tintype camera that's in there, and it's a really a great example of an artifact that if we weren't partners with the Smithsonian, we might not have received this artifact. In the past, um, we've had a number of different items uh, that we, you know, have received from them for, uh, for our 1968, uh, the year that Rocked America exhibit. And um, uh, even, you know, it, it's not all just regular history. It can be sports history, which we cover here at the History Center. Um, you know, we had a Gridiron Glory, the best of the Pro Football Hall of Fame exhibit here, um, where we received some items from the Smithsonian. So, um, definitely a wonderful partnership, and it's great that the people in Western Pennsylvania um, can come here and see those kind of artifacts. Mm-hmm. And the uh, center here is four stories high, and so you have different uh, exhibits on on each uh, each floor. And I see uh, currently or maybe this is a long-term uh, exhibit. You, you've been doing stuff with the Civil War. You have uh, an ex- exhibition called From Slavery to Freedom. Right. Talk about some of those 
uh, event or That's right. exhibits. Yeah, and actually, so actually, the History Center is seven floors, um, so it's it's uh, it's pretty big. <laughs> it's uh, two hundred seventy five thousand feet. Um, the uh, you know on the six floors of exhibit space that we have here, uh, we have uh, permanent or long-term exhibitions. We also have the temporary ones, and they're ones that are short-term, like uh, Pennsylvania Civil War, which is here for six months. Now, From Slavery to Freedom is really a fantastic exhibit, and it chronicles um, African-American history in the region um, from... Uh, 250 years ago until now, and it, it looks takes a really in-depth look at slavery and abolitionism in the area. Um, it talks about uh, some of the you know, the abolitionists who lived in Pittsburgh or were from Pittsburgh that it really affected that time period, and also um, you know uh, sort of uh, clarifies some myths about you know what people think uh, of slavery, North versus South. Um, you know, th- there were indentured servants, there were slaves, even in the north, that people don't realize that. So we really wanted to shed some light on that. Um, and it's a very powerful exhibit, and that's a good example of you know, some of the long-term stuff. Uh, here at the History Center, you're also going to see um, uh, Pittsburgh, a tradition of innovation, which um, talks about some of the great uh, innovators in um, you know in the history of Pittsburgh and and what we try to do at the History Center is present national history with a Western Pennsylvania connection. So everything you see here will have some sort of national impact. You know, it, it's affected you know the people across the country, but it has a Pittsburgh or Western Pennsylvania connection. And I think you know Mr. Rogers. We were talking about that. That's a great example. You know, Mr. Rogers affected many lives through his television show and was one of, you know, America's favorite, you know, television hosts. And he was from right here in Pittsburgh and filmed his show here. And that's something that, you know, we talk about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood in depth at the History Center. Um, so it's probably a pretty good example. So who are some of the more um, surprising innovators? Uh, I know the person who created the Ferris wheel. Yeah, so George Ferris actually was from Pittsburgh. Um, and I'll actually, and some of the the uh, I, I guess the ironwork used to um, build the first Ferris wheel came Ferris wheel came from Pittsburgh. Um, well, we know about H.J. Uh, Hines and the Hines Company, uh, George Westinghouse. Um, I think most historians would know about that, but maybe the the common person wouldn't realize that you know they they have Westinghouse Electric and appliances. Well, you know George Westinghouse was a native of, of Pittsburgh, so you'll learn a lot about him in the exhibit. Um, there were many firsts in the region, uh, from the first Nickelodeon or movie theater was happened here in Pittsburgh. The first commercial radio station um, was K- uh, KDKA Radio. Um, again, that happened right here um, in Pittsburgh. So we we talk about a lot of these things. Um, there's also contrib- contributions to the military, like the, the Jeep was made in Butler, Pennsylvania. Um, and that's, you know, even though Butler's about 45 minutes north of the city, it's still in the region. It's western Pennsylvania. And the invention of the Jeep really was uh, a huge catalyst in winning uh, the World War II. So that's just a couple examples. And for the uh, history buff or, you know, uh, graduate student doing research or book writer, you have an archive section here, too. That's right. So we have uh, our library and archives are on uh, the sixth floor here at the History Center. And you'll, you know, we have students that come in here. We have researchers 
um, that uh, you know can search through our archives. We have a, you know a large staff that's here to accommodate them. We also have a, a very large bank of uh, photos um, that are used by reporters, um, students, uh, and and people even even looking for. Uh, tips on their family history. We do a lot of genealogy work here, um, which is very currently it's very popular because of some national television shows that are out there. Uh, genealogy uh, is really, um, you know, uh, it's become very popular over the last couple of years. So, and you know, even with uh, the space that you occupy here, all of the uh, exhibits. Uh, you've maintained a lead green standard that's for right. this building. That's right, and that's very important um, to the History Center that we are, um, you know, complying with 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 uh, all green building standards. Um, but we're very proud of the lead certification. Um, I'd mentioned that you know we have a new building um, that is being rehabbed and renovated uh, next door. That will be a storage facility and a conservation center. Um, it's called the Museum Support Center, and that um, we we are definitely shooting for um, lead certification, um, you know, at the highest level for that. So um, it's it's just something that's a high priority for everybody here. Mm-hmm. Well, this building seems like a, a treasure trove of Western Pennsylvania. History that has uh, history that has a national impact. Mm-hmm. It is, um, and you know, everywhere you look, even when you walk into the building, we have a, a very large area that's called the Great Hall. Um, we have a, a, some popular items down there uh, from the, the trolley um, that people were used to seeing in the 1930s in Pittsburgh. Uh, to some of those items, like you just mentioned, mentioned uh, the Jeep is down there. The one of the first Jeeps ever created, the prototype, is in the Great Hall. Um, that actually was donated to the Smithsonian in the 40s, and now we have it here now, which is exciting. Um, you know, floor to floor, one of the places you'll see is the uh, Western Pennsylvania Sports Museum. It's a huge part of the uh, the History Center. We actually like to call it a museum within a museum. Um, and that's another area where you'll walk around, and yeah, it is, we focus on Pittsburgh sports history, and it's, you know, uh, athletes from Western Pennsylvania, but these athletes had a major impact. The Steelers have a national following. Um, if you uh, look in our football area, you'll see you'll learn about the cradle of quarterbacks um, from Western PA. Names like Johnny Unitas and Jim Kelly and Dan Marino. Um, these all-pro quarterbacks who all came from Western Pennsylvania. We always say there must be something in the water. We don't know what it is, but. Um, you know, I think everywhere you turn in the museum, uh, even if you're not from Pittsburgh, you can visit here and still uh, get a great sense for how important the people of this region have been. Well, I'm looking forward to exploring. And uh, Brady, thank you very much for your hospitality and for joining uh, us here on World Footprints today. Uh, my pleasure, and enjoy uh, your your trip here. After the break, we'll explore Pittsburgh's Hill District, a collection of neighborhoods that is considered by many to be the cultural center of African-American life in Pittsburgh. Harlem Renaissance poet Claude McKay once caught the Hill District the crossroads of the world. The district was the setting of nine of the plays in August Wilson's 10-play Pittsburgh Cycle and the inspiration for the popular television series, Hill Street Blues. 
many people would say it is it was the place to stop between New York and Chicago, particularly as it relates to related to the jazz scene and you know the Negro leagues and so forth. But the history of the Hill District really just you know spans from obviously the beginning of Pittsburgh as a city. Next, as world footprints continue. Bonjour, je m'appelle Nico, je suis français et j'adore écouter World Footprints. Hello, I'm Nico, I'm French, and I love to listen to World Footprints. Set sail on the elegant glass-enclosed odyssey for the ultimate D.C. dining experience, featuring delectable three-course menus, live band entertainment, and monumental views. Cruising year-round from Washington, D.C., the Odyssey offers the best venue for special occasions. Go to odysseycruises.com to reserve today. That's odysseycruises.com. My father had prostate cancer. My grandfather, two great-uncles, died from it. I wish I'd known about the family history, but it just wasn't talked about. My name's Lonnie. I had my prostate removed in May of 1995, and I'm still here. So there is life after prostate cancer. I'm living proof. One thing I would want to share with any man that thinks that he may have prostate cancer is, number one, get it checked. Secondly, you have time after the diagnosis. Read, learn, go talk with your doctor, and make some decisions. Because knowledge is power. It cannot be understated. Prostate cancer is the most common cancer among men in Michigan. If you've been diagnosed, talk with your health care provider about your options and visit prostatecancerdecision.org today. Sponsored by the Michigan Department of Community Health, the Michigan Cancer Consortium, and the Michigan Association of Broadcasters. Visit the Galapagos Islands, meet polar bears in Canada, sip wine in northern Italy, explore the Hawaiian Islands aboard a luxury yacht, and stand face-to-face with China's terracotta soldiers. Explore the world on a journey of a lifetime with World Footprints Discovery Tours. These tours give a unique view of the world in an intimate, small group setting with the freedom to immerse yourself in local culture, learn, and make new friends along the way. Book early and save. Visit worldfootprints.com and look for Discovery Tours to begin your next adventure today. Hi, I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick. A few years ago, we decided to leave our respective legal practices to live a more purposeful travel life and help others leave positive footprints. World Footprints was born and was quickly recognized for its award-winning journalism. We've covered events from the Olympics to a Titanic expedition, and we've discussed conservation, environmental, and public diplomacy initiatives. Join us for award-winning radio and visit our website, worldfootprints.com, for daily travel deals and comprehensive travel information. Are you planning a vacation, a business trip, or a honeymoon abroad? Want to enhance your trip and make a meaningful contribution to the places you visit? Packforapurpose.org can show you how. Before you travel, visit packforapurpose.org. It's easy to make a big impact. Happy holidays, everybody. This is Dave Koz for RAD, recording artists, actors, and athletes against drunk driving. When you're traveling during the holidays and see someone who's had too much to drink about to get behind the wheel of their car, get the car keys. Your friends will thank you for it because friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. 
World Footprints Radio is an award-winning broadcast and leader in socially conscious travel. Hosts Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick bring you entertaining and informative interviews with well-known celebrities, newsmakers, authors, and industry professionals. From environmental leaders like Bobby Kennedy Jr. and David Rockefeller Jr. to conservationists like actress Stephanie Powers and director Ken Burns. Tune in to hear travel journalism at its best. Visit unique places from around the world and stop by the worldfootprints.com website for comprehensive travel information including special daily travel deals. Don't have the time to give back to the community? No time to socialize or network? Then volunteer with OneBrick. Volunteer only when it fits your schedule and then join us for food, drinks, and great conversation afterwards. It's a great way to meet new people, have fun, and help the community. Join us at www.onebrick.org. That's www.onebrick.org. One Brick. Volunteering made easy. Did you know that World Footprints has something for everyone? From great radio shows with celebrity guests and the latest travel news and information to dynamic travel deals and more. Make WorldFootprints.com your first stop. Also, don't forget to visit the Travel Marketplace for sales on travel essentials and services. Join award-winning World Footprints Radio, a leader in socially conscious travel, for inspiring, entertaining, and educational shows. Meet well-known guests like Bobby Kennedy Jr., actress Stephanie Powers, and director Ken Burns, along with other celebrities, newsmakers, and industry professionals who celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage, and support public diplomacy initiatives. Travel with us to unique places around the world and join us on our efforts to raise awareness about environmental, conservation, and human rights issues and learn what you can do to leave positive footprints one step at a time. Also, visit our interactive and informative website at worldfootprints.com. Hi, my name is Catherine from France, and I love listening to World Footprints Radio. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. The Hill District is a collection of neighborhoods that is considered by many to be the cultural center of African-American life in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Harlem Renaissance poet Claude McKay once called the Hill District the crossroads of the world. It is known to many Pittsburghers as simply The Hill. The district was the setting for nine of the plays in August Wilson's 10-play Pittsburgh Cycle and the setting for the popular TV series Hill Street Blues. There's a treasure trove of rich history in The Hill, and Marimba Valians from the Hill District Development Corporation joins us to share just what some of those treasures are. Marimba, Welcome. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Now, I mentioned in the outset that poet Claude McKay once referred to the Hill as the crossroads of the world. What do you think he meant by that? Sure. Well, one of um, the Hill District's, you know, very famous radio um, uh, broadcasters, Mary D., um, would oftentimes say, you know, the Hill District is the crossroads of the world. 
And so, as, as well as Clyde McKay, I believe he must have um, at some point come, come along because we acknowledge that as well. And it was because the Hill District was such an exciting place to be. Many people would say it, is, it was the place to stop between New York and Chicago, particularly as it relates to related to the jazz scene and, you know, the Negro Leagues and so forth. But the history of the Hill District really just, you know, spans from obviously the beginning of Pittsburgh as a city. It's one of Pittsburgh's oldest communities. And um, it's a very large neighborhood. It's about 1.8 square miles now. Um, obviously, at that point, you know, um, you know, like most cities and cities and city neighborhoods, it kind of, you know, it grew over time or, you know, became smaller over time. But in this case, what we call the Lower Hill District was one of the most culturally diverse places in our city. And, you know, it was a place kind of like a melting pot, so to speak, where you had Armenians and Jews and African-Americans and uh, Italians um, really living together right there at the foot of our neighborhood, which is connected to the downtown area. Um, and then, you know, going all the way up to the Upper Hill District, um, now, over a period of decades, you know, in the 20s, I believe, in particular, it became a predominantly African-American community where you really had the celebration of, you know, uh, jazz culture and, you know, the um, rich legacy of that is, is, is in Pittsburgh and the Hill District is, you know, everything from Duke Ellington being named the king of jazz here in the Hill District to Louis Armstrong playing, you know, Lena Horne has roots in the Hill District and Stanley Turrentine and, you know, so it just was a community that was bustling with, you know, Negro League teams and businesses up and down the corridors. I'm not sure if you've seen Wiley Avenue days. So it, it really, I mean, you know, very strong businesses, local businesses, and African-American-owned businesses, a very strong social fabric, very strong faith institutions. Mm -hmm. And so it just had an energy that was very uncommon. You know, I think a lot of people may be surprised to hear about this rich uh, history that that you have contained uh, not only in the Hill but I mean through citywide in Pittsburgh and one of the questions that I was asked on a recent visit many many times is what was my impression of Pittsburgh before I arrived in the city mm-hmm. and I think everyone was really surprised to hear, and it wasn't just my response. It was other people who were visiting uh, at the same time who had never been to Pittsburgh before. You know, our initial impression was, you know, a a city with perhaps very high steel mills, smokestacks, you know, kind of gray, um, polluted. But Pittsburgh is an incredibly colorful city, and I think a lot of people would be very, very surprised to know that you know there's such a, a so many rich traditions and um a treasure trove of of history mhm mhm now with the the hill district development corporation your organization um certainly you're focused on development growth in the hill district uh but does that growth is that growth sustainable is it um aligned with pittsburgh's uh, mission and and commitment to uh, create sustainable projects and and are you preserving history with that right. growth? Right, that's a great question. So the Hill CDC um, has been around since 1987, and like a lot of CDCs, CDC stands for Community Development Corporation, and you have CDCs all throughout the country. Um, it um, 
it went through a life cycle where, you know, in the 80s, the CDC movement uh, came about in part because of, of, a, of a very clear need for more accessible and affordable housing and um, the redevelopment of urban core neighborhoods, many of, uh, many of those neighborhoods that, you know, are here in the hearts of our cities across America really um, were diminished between the late 50s and 60s and 70s as a result of urban renewal policies. Um, and so the Hill District is one of the neighborhoods, one of the first, in fact, neighborhoods to experience um, the devastating impacts of urban renewal. Mm-hmm. And so um, we had in the Lower Hill District about 8,000 residents, um, businesses, and institutions displaced from the foot of our neighborhood. And uh, an arena was built, which um, really cut off the core avenues Mm -hmm. between the middle part of the neighborhood to downtown. And you had a considerable amount of economic demise as a result of that. So this CDC, the Hill CDC, um, you know, uh, was focused on helping to bring back um, the fabric of the neighborhood in the form of housing and commercial development. And so um, the first wave was really a clear focus on on housing with with some retail. It's very difficult to do retail without understanding the housing development that's happening or if you have um, a, a high level of folks who have left a neighborhood or if, you know, if, if the, there's not a, a strategic kind of retail strategy and housing plan that work together. So we've been focused on how to restore the residential, commercial, and cultural fabric of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's really exciting. I mean, the Hill District is an exciting community. It's energetic. There's considerable amount of development happening, particularly the housing is now coming back. We were very fortunate to have um, three Hope Six projects in the Hill District uh, community, which was um, a, a program under the Clinton administration okay. to take old-style public housing and do mixed-income neighborhoods. And so we were able to uh, transform what were high levels of concentrated poverty into mixed-income neighborhoods. Now, a challenge with that is that oftentimes some residents may be displaced as a result, but um, we have been trying to work through that in our community by thinking about, you know, what are the appropriate levels of affordable versus market versus home ownership. And so all of that is core CDC work, and that's what the Hill CDC has been focused on. And also now we're really focused on the redevelopment of our retail corridor. So we recently were very fortunate to have a grocery store. First in 30 years, we lived in what's called a food desert. There's a national movement to bring supermarkets back to urban neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Hill District is very fortunate to have a supermarket now open. It just opened last week. And um, we are now working on the cultural um, revitalization of uh, the cultural revitalization through um, redeveloping or rehabbing structures such as August Wilson's childhood home, the New Granada Theater, which is where Duke Ellington was named the King of Jazz, uh, the Crawford Grill which is where, you know, lots of folks would come up and play. After they played downtown, they come up and play at the Crawford Grill. Um, and so we do have a number of cultural um, 
uh, structures that remain, but a lot of them have been demolished, unfortunately. A lot of our housing stock has been demolished. So, you know, thinking about all of how we bring all of this together is, again, the core work of the CDC, and that's what we do every day. But we've been fortunate, you know, we've been fortunate to see a high level of investment relative to housing in our neighborhood over these past, over the past decade, for sure. Well, speaking of, um, you know, the new retail outlets that are entering in uh, the Hill District, I have to, to say I was so impressed with the explosion of the culinary and art scenes in Pittsburgh, and I'm wondering, is some of that exciting growth uh, finding its way to the Hill District? It is. Actually, we are getting lots of inquiries um, from artists. Uh, we have a very strong culinary uh, community here in the Hill District. I mean, you know, um, we have been doing some small business work with community partners, and one of the, you know, um, ideas that folks come come with often is, is either a restaurant or catering. Um, and so we do see a lot of that. We have um, a, a number of gardens here in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, and that's a very interesting twist, right? You know, fresh foods and uh, locally sourced foods, um, and we're trying to find ways to connect those with the schools here in the old district as well. Mm-hmm. So there's an interesting twist on both the arts and culinary. Uh, I don't know if it's a Pittsburgh thing, but if it is a Pittsburgh thing, it's certainly in the Hill, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was happy. I'll, I'll you know, arts and uh, food and wine. It's, uh, we'll bring anyone, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, where can visitors go uh, to get a real sense of the culture and the energy in the hill? I mean, past and present, and you know, at, answer that from a local's perspective because you grew up in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Where do you like to go? That's a great question. I mean, you know, you know, the the place that I the place that we're trying to build in the Hill District is where I want people to come, if that makes sense. It's, mm-hmm. We are actively engaged in developing that place that captures all of that history. Um, you know, we have places that you know, are just kind of cultural institutions. For example, the Carnegie Museum of Art had on exhibit Teeny Harris's um, over sixty thousand um, over sixty thousand photographs of the Hill District. Um, you know, for quite some time, I believe now it's a tra- traveling exhibit. So there, you could literally see the story of the Hill District. He was a photographer who you know captured more of the history of this community than anyone. Um, so you have that, and then you have like the Heinz History Center, which captures like Pittsburgh's history, right? And then you can come to the Hill District, right? And just just come up. You can come to the Hill Community Development Corporation if you really want to get into the neighborhood, which is what we encourage. Because unfortunately, um, like many neighborhoods um, that you know struggle with who, who who went through kind of the cycle of urban renewal, struggle with perception issues. Mm-hmm. And you know when folks get into the neighborhood, they realize, wow, this is such a treasure. You know, Freedom Corner is the place where when the development was happening on the Lower Hill District, when residents were displaced, there was a certain amount of commitment made that investment would happen throughout the neighborhood. But when residents realized that wasn't going to happen, 
happened. They erected a billboard that said, no redevelopment beyond this point. We need affordable housing. Mm. And so now there's a monument there called Freedom Corner that really kind of acknowledges and celebrates that story, but also um, literally has the inscription of, you know, many of the folks who have worked over decades in this city. Um, And so, you know, you can go there. You can, you know, see, you know, you can come up to the New Granada Theater, and we do tours. We're still in the process of restoration and trying to launch a capital campaign. So, you know, these places are here. This is a living, breathing neighborhood. So the best thing to do is to actually come to the neighborhood. So that's where I like to be. I like to be here doing the work of rebuilding this neighborhood, which I think is a regional treasure. So you guys do offer the um, uh, Hill uh, District um, Development Corporation offers walking tours. We do um, driven tours and walking tours, and we sometimes do those with community partners. Our focus is again the community development, so we connect that to the to the to the history and to where we are, like what's been our trajectory of development in this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So, so we do that often. And then for folks who want more historical tours, we have you know community partners with whom we work um, who do you know like you know strictly cultural tours or historic tours. Okay. So again, you know, as a as a Pittsburgh native, um for any locals coming into the Hill District, are there is there something an attraction or a piece of history that would surprise even a local that surprised you when you began working for the Hill District Development Corp? Mm, that's a great question. Um Well, there are things like the Arsena Overlook that is a breathtaking view of the north side of the city. Uh, in the Upper Hill District, there uh, is Finland Street that just will take your breath away. And that looks at, you know, you can see like the whole east end and, uh, of the city. Uh, Pittsburgh is a very high community. It sits at the top of, you know, it's, it's a very, you know, it's, it's kind of elevated. So you get to kind of, you get these amazing topical, topographical uh, views. Um, I would say the Carnegie Library, mm-hmm. which is um, a beautiful space. Um, I would say visit some of the landmarks that I named, you know, New Granada Square, August Wilson Center. Um, I would say to go visit Ujima Collective Boutique, which is a collective uh, of women artisans uh, and business owners who uh, have a cooperative business model. Um, you know, that, that I think is something from just a retail stand- standpoint that, you know, you can get handmade goods and you can get, um, you know, merchandise that's very, you know, might not be easily accessible in other neighborhoods. Uh, those are a few things that, that come to mind. Playwright August Wilson was much loved in in the area, and I know that there is a museum dedicated to him in the Hill. Tell us a little bit about the museum, its collection, exhibits, um, structure, and um, I understand that in addition to the museum or center, there's also his home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, well, of course, Pulitzer Prize-winning um, author and playwright August Wilson was from the Hill District, grew up on Bedford Avenue, and we um, do here in Pittsburgh have um, his, his childhood home is still here. The family is in possession of it, and they are actually launching a capital campaign to restore his childhood home, and they're, you know, exploring things like uh, co- artist colony 
and other ideas for uh, the reuse of that structure. And then downtown in what we call the Cultural District of Pittsburgh is the August Wilson Center, which is a beautiful structure and um, uh, was opened several years ago and named after him. Um, they have everything from, you know, small exhibits and, you know, artistic presentations to, um, you know, an uh, installation, a permanent installation that talks about uh, August Wilson and his work and um, Pittsburgh. And so I would certainly encourage folks who are interested in learning about the Hill um, and learning about African-American culture in Pittsburgh to visit the August Wilson Center. It's actually called the August Wilson Center for African-American culture. Um, the August Wilson Center needs your support right now. Um, just like most cultural centers, it, you know, it, it, it is tough to maintain them, so I would love to see both it, folks who are from Pittsburgh and out-of-towners come to the August Wilson Center and support it. Do you know the website? Their website is augustwilsoncenter.org. Awesome. Well, I'm And you can come to our website, of course. Of course, which is? <laughs> www.hilldistrict.org. Wonderful. Thank you so much, uh, Marimba, for, for sharing, you know, a piece of Pittsburgh and the Hill District with us and really an important piece of American history and and culture. I'm looking forward to my next visit and um, we will go out to eat (laughs) when I get there. I I would love to have you come and anytime you're here, please stop by. Will do. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on World Footprints. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. When we return, we'll learn about Pittsburgh's evolution from colonial settlement to big steel as we tour the grounds of the Cary Blast Furnaces. These 92-foot-tall furnaces are the only non-operative blast furnaces in the Pittsburgh district to remain standing and are rare examples of pre-World War II iron-making technology still in existence. This site that employed 15,000 people but was famous nationally and internationally can't just be bulldozed. And we needed to try to save some of this to not just maintain our own sense of self and our own sense of place, but to then use this history to help move the region forward. Next, as World Footprints continues. Hi, I'm Alex from Baltimore, Maryland, and Tanya and Ian brought me to Baltimore by listening to World Footprints Radio. Poaching is a major threat to our country's wildlife. I'm Tom Barry, and I'm an actor reaching out with the Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust, which works with private landowners to protect wildlife, preserve natural habitats, and create permanent sanctuaries. To learn more, call 800-729-SAVE or visit wildlifelandtrust.org. Thank you. Set sail on the elegant glass-enclosed odyssey for the ultimate D.C. dining experience featuring delectable three-course menus, live band entertainment, and monumental views. Cruising year-round from Washington, D.C., the Odyssey offers the best venue for special occasions. Go to odysseycruises.com to reserve today. That's odysseycruises.com. My father had prostate cancer. My grandfather, two great-uncles, died from it. I wish I'd known about the family history, but it just wasn't talked about. My name's Lonnie. I had my prostate removed in May of 1995. And I'm still here. So there is life after prostate cancer. I'm living proof. One thing I would want to share with any man that thinks that he may have prostate cancer is, number one, get it checked. Secondly, you have time after the diagnosis. Read, learn, 
go talk with your doctor and make some decisions because knowledge is power. It cannot be understated, you know. Prostate cancer is the most common cancer among men in Michigan. If you've been diagnosed, talk with your health care provider about your options and visit prostatecancerdecision.org today. Sponsored by the Michigan Department of Community Health, the Michigan Cancer Consortium, and the Michigan Association of Broadcasters. Visit the Galapagos Islands, meet polar bears in Canada, sip wine in northern Italy, explore the Hawaiian Islands aboard a luxury yacht, and stand face-to-face with China's terracotta soldiers. Explore the world on a journey of a lifetime with World Footprints Discovery Tours. These tours give a unique view of the world in an intimate, small group setting with the freedom to immerse yourself in local culture, learn, and make new friends along the way. Book early and save. Visit worldfootprints.com and look for Discovery Tours to be Begin your next adventure today. Hi, I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick. A few years ago, we decided to leave our respective legal practices to live a more purposeful travel life and help others leave positive footprints. World Footprints was born and was quickly recognized for its award-winning journalism. We've covered events from the Olympics to a Titanic expedition, and we've discussed conservation, environmental, and public diplomacy initiatives. Join us for award-winning radio and visit our website, worldfootprints.com, for daily travel deals and comprehensive travel information. Are you planning a vacation, a business trip, or a honeymoon abroad? Want to enhance your trip and make a meaningful contribution to the places you visit? Packforapurpose.org can show you how. Before you travel, visit packforapurpose.org. It's easy to make a big impact. Happy holidays, everybody. This is Dave Koz for RAD, recording artists, actors, and athletes against drunk driving. When you're traveling during the holidays and see someone who's had too much to drink about to get behind the wheel of their car, get the car keys. Your friends will thank you for it because friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. World Footprints Radio is an award-winning broadcast and leader in socially conscious travel. Hosts Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick bring you entertaining and informative interviews with well-known celebrities, newsmakers, authors, and industry professionals. From environmental leaders like Bobby Kennedy Jr. and David Rockefeller Jr. to conservationists like actress Stephanie Powers and director Ken Burns. Tune in to hear travel journalism at its best. Visit unique places from around the world and stop by the worldfootprints.com website for comprehensive travel information including special daily travel deals. Don't have the time to give back to the community? No time to socialize or network? Then volunteer with OneBrick. Volunteer only when it fits your schedule and then join us for food, drinks, and great conversation afterwards. It's a great way to meet new people, have fun, and help the community. Join us at www.onebrick.org. That's www.onebrick.org. OneBrick. Volunteering made easy. Did you know that World of Footprints has something for everyone? From great radio shows with celebrity guests and the latest travel news and information to dynamic travel deals and more. Make WorldFootprints.com your first stop. Also, don't forget to visit the Travel Marketplace for sales on travel essentials and services. 
award-winning World Footprints Radio, a leader in socially conscious travel for inspiring, entertaining, and educational shows. Meet well-known guests like Bobby Kennedy Jr., actress Stephanie Powers, and director Ken Burns, along with other celebrities, newsmakers, and industry professionals who celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage, and support public diplomacy initiatives. Travel with us to unique places around the world and join us on our efforts to raise awareness about environmental, conservation, and human rights issues and learn what you can do to leave positive footprints one step at a time. Also, visit our interactive and informative website at worldfootprints.com. Hello, this is Mertice Badola from Gallery Mertice in Baltimore, Maryland, and I love World Footprint Radio. And now, more of World Footprints Radio with your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. The Rivers of Steel Heritage Corporation can serve and purpose and develop historical, cultural, and recreational resources throughout western Pennsylvania, including the eight counties that comprise the Rivers of Steel National Heritage Area. The dynamic and powerful story of the region's evolution from colonial settlement to big steel to the modern era is evident in many of its artifacts, buildings, vibrant communities, and industrial sites. Core landmarks like the Cary Blast Furnaces, number six and seven, illustrate the magnitude of the story. It was on this site that I met Ron Barraff, the director of museums and archives for the Heritage Corporation, and learned about the links between our colonial and industrial heritage to our present and future economic and cultural life. And it's also where I explored an extremely rare example of pre-World War II iron-making technology. My name is Ron Baroff. I'm director of museums and archives for the Rivers of Steel National Heritage Area. And what exactly is the Rivers of Steel National Heritage Area? Oh, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, what we are, are, we're an umbrella group that, that um, covers eight counties, and, and it's all to preserve, interpret, and promote the industrial legacy of this region and the people that populated it. Mm-hmm. So we work to directly preserve, in, such as with the Cary Furnace site, but also to assist other preservation groups and outreach groups and community groups in their communities. So uh, we help with grant funding, we help with projects, um, technical assistance, that sort of thing. And how long has your organization uh, been active? Uh, we started in 1988, um, but became the Rivers of Steel National Heritage Area in 1996. So you started shortly after the, the steel industry um, pretty much folded here. Right. Actually, we started because the steel industry was folding. And it started very much from a grassroots effort of identifying that Homestead in particular was somewhere that can't go away, that this Homestead works, that this, this site that employed 15,000 people but was famous nationally and internationally can't just be bulldozed, Mm -hmm. that we needed to try to save some of this to not just maintain our own sense of self Mm -hmm. and our own sense of place, but to then use this history to help move the region forward, to use this history to drive tourism, Mm -hmm. that this is a story that people are going to want to know about, they're going to want to see, and they're going to want to experience. And, and and so I know you know this was the uh, the heritage area was created you know certainly to preserve 
as you mentioned, your regional history. Why is this story important to the nation and, and others traveling to this country? This region, and it's not hyperbole to say this region built the world. And the iron and steel that came out of here allowed this country to grow horizontally with the railroads and vertically with the buildings. But beyond that, this is the steel that went into this great industrial complex that framed the 20th century. And it's, so it's not just a regional picture. It's not even just a national picture. It's an international view. Mm-hmm. The steel that came out of this plant and out of this region won World War II. So it changes the face of, of the world. Tell me a little bit about the, the uh, mill that we're standing on now. Uh, we are currently standing at the Cary Furnace site, or what's left of the Cary Furnace site. It was originally um, seven blast furnaces. There's now two, number six and seven. They were the last two built. Uh, They opened in 1907 and ran until 1978. They're National Historic Landmarks, not because, well, they're the last two, but because they do a couple of things. One, they are prime examples of the technological advancements and changes that took place in the industry in the early 20th century. And two, they're the only extant pre-World War II vintage blast furnaces left, not just here, but anywhere. Mm. So the technology that was put in place here, you can't find anywhere else. So it, it changes the industry and it changes the world. They also are, on that kind of bigger view, if you technology aside, they stand as a monument to all the working men and women, mm-hmm. not just of this region, but of this country, that made the 20th century and now the 21st century what it is built that America that we all know, and this really is a symbol of that. Is this mill the only mill that uh, is part of your heritage uh, area tour? Uh, Of this scope, yes. Uh, We have a few other sites that we um, own or manage. Uh, We have the Bose Building, which is also a National Historic Landmark, um, and its association with with the Homestead Strike, Uh, the Pump House also, which was associated with the Homestead Strike. And then we have a site down in Greene County, the W.A. Young & Sons Machine Shop and Foundry, which is this amazing snapshot of a smaller support industry that existed all over this region. The machine shop opened in 1900. It closed in 1966. It literally looks like they all went out to lunch and never came back. But it's shops like that that were all over this region and served to support this industry, but also the river, mining, and other industries that were all support. It's an amazing, amazing, pristine site. Speaking of pristine, have there been any initiatives to uh, really kind of clean up uh, some of the environmental impacts that the steel mills have had? And, and, you know, for example, with this mill, what have you guys done and what are you doing? Fortunately for us, the iron-making process is a relatively clean process. This is different than the steel mills or other even smelting plants. So very little needs to be done in the way of environmental cleanup. This is, this, this is not a, a, um, a dirty brownfield site. That, you know, it, it, it really isn't bad. There, there's some soil contamination, but uh, capping covers that. It really isn't a big issue. Um, we were fortunate. Mm-hmm. 
point we're fortunate. But there, you know, you probably saw on your way in that there's a lot of remediation work being done. And mostly what's happening there isn't so much because of environmentals, but more so to bring the site above floodplain. And to do that and then ready it for developer. Ron, I'm, I'm just curious, did you work in this mill or one of the mills? I didn't, okay. but I grew up here. Okay. Yeah. And and so, you know, one of the questions I asked earlier is about um, OSHA standards, you know, this very, very dangerous work. Um, these men worked in 2,000 to 3,000 degree Fahrenheit furnaces. How did you witness or, or, or learn about any of the safety uh initiatives that took place to to help protect and uh you know protect these these men um with the uh against the dangerous work they were doing yeah and, and yes i mean you know we 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 spent a lot of time doing it oral history interviews with folks who worked in these places uh touring some of the mills we talk about safety on our tours but safety is an evolving thing when this site opened in 1907, there was very little regard for the safety of the workers. There was tacit movement. Uh, there were safety programs put in place into the 20s and the 30s, but it really isn't until you know 1960s and 1970s where it's pushed to the point where it is now. You know where there's hard hats, wearing personal safety devices, monitors for gas, um, other gas equipment, uh, tying off. So even in the 40s, when women started working in the mills because of, you know, the war, World War II, the safety issues or safety um, procedures were not uh, that stringent, even for them? Not by modern standards, no. uh, Safety, as I said, is evolving. So in the 1940s, they would wear heat suits while dealing with molten iron, Um, but that's only a handful of people. And those heat suits were made out of asbestos, which now, as we know, it is is verboten. Right. You know, so now it's it's aluminized Kevlar. But most of the workers they would wear metatarsals. They would wear safety glasses. But they were not wearing flame resistant clothing. They weren't wearing hard hats for the most part. It wasn't part of their everyday wear. You don't really start to see hard hats in these plants until the nineteen fifties. And and so as there was more awareness of what needed to be done and as the unions gained traction, because they have a lot to do with this, safety becomes more paramount. If you go inside this building, you'll see that there's a big mural on the wall that was done when the mill was here, and it's all about safety. Why Why Pittsburgh? Why Pittsburgh as the hub for the steel industry, the pretty much the world steel industry back in the day? Right. The, the, the question is why here? Um, for a number of reasons. Uh, first and foremost, we sit on the Pittsburgh seam, which is one of the richest coal seams in the world. That's the fuel. Two, we have the rivers for transportation. Three, there was already a climate of ingenuity and invention in this region, so it starts early on with boat building and moves into the steam industry. Robert Fulton was based out of here. And, and so that, that mindset's already here. And so is the capital. So you combine all of those things, and then you open up you know, the floodgates of immigration. You've got everything you need right here. And so that, that, that combination of all those factors allows Pittsburgh to really grow. Um, and it's also centrally located between New York and Chicago. And every major rail line was running through here. So there's a place.
for sharing some of our American and really world history with World Supreme. My, my pleasure. Anytime. Thank you so much for joining us on today's show. Hi guys, my name is Sandy Best, the Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada, Banff National Park, natural beauty. The only place you should go with is World Footprints Radio, because they spend their time looking at those special places that are not tourist traps, that are not thousands of people. For the best on the planet, go with World Footprints Radio. This has been a presentation of World Footprints 